0: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. It's tax time.
1: Most wonderful time of the year, Most right? wonderful time of the year. <laughs> For some of us. I tell
0: you, as soon as I read us, this, as <laughs> soon as I saw this this morning, going through it, reading through it, etc., before, before the show, I thought, oh, we got to get on that uh-huh. right now. And I think, I, so it's super timely. Oh, yeah. Um, People's
1: T4s are arriving. Exactly. You know, you're starting to wonder, am I going to owe money getting something back, right? It's It's topical. Yep.
0: So this so this segment's all about the dos and don'ts. Um, so whether you're getting a check from the government because of your, you're getting a tax refund, or you haven't filed for a long time, there's a bunch of things uh, that we can talk about here. First of all, tax time can be really intimidating, regardless mm-hmm. of what situation you're in. I think right, uh, but especially if you owe money. So I know you've got lots of experience, Blair, in helping people f- getting caught up financially and back up on track. So what are the tips? Uh, Let's start, first of all, to share for folks actually preparing a tax return. What what's some what's some good things to, to keep in mind as you start that process?
1: Yeah, so we got some do's and some don'ts. Yeah. Right? So we'll focus on those today. So in terms of the first do, so things to be really cognizant of, the first one is to know and to abide by the filing and the payment deadlines, and to know these are not the same. So your filing deadline and your payment deadline may be different dates. Okay. So we'll spend a minute about that. Yeah. So for this year, the tax filing deadline for an individual is April 30th of 2020.
0: So you got to get it in by that midnight, Exactly.
1: So unless you're self-employed, you need to have your tax return filed by this date. And that's also the payment due date for taxes owing for 2019. So if you file your return and you know you owe them a couple hundred dollars, well, you should have either a check with the return or direct deposit or whatever, but just make sure that you're sending a payment in with the return. Now, if you're self-employed, the filing deadline is a little bit later. You get a bit of extra time. It's June 15th of 2020.
0: But But this is really important. This
1: is hugely important, but you have to pay the same deadline as of April 30th. And you'd say, well, well how do I know what I got to pay? I haven't even done my taxes until June 15th. And CRA says, well, you're going to have to make a guess. And if you overpay, yeah, we'll give that back to you. If you underpay, we'll be nice enough and we'll charge you some interest on the amount exactly. that you underpaid. Immediately. So, yeah.
0: Immediately.
1: Yes. Yeah. Indeed. But as a self-employed person, realize you got some extra time, but you do have to have the payment in by April 30th to avoid uh, the penalties and interests. Yeah. And what you need to be aware on here is interest and penalties, charges, they can be significant. Um, they start right away on May 1st on unpaid amounts owing. And CRA charges interest the compounds daily. So similar to some credit card companies now, um, every day, interest upon interest. Um, if you owe for 2019 and you file your return after the filing due date, so if you don't get it in by April 30th, right off the top, there's a 5% penalty of the amount owing plus 1% of your balance owing for each full month that your return is late. So that can be significant, right? And you know, imagine five plus 12, 17% on top of your taxes just for filing late.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And if you're habitually late, so you know, the vast majority of Canadians file their taxes on time every year. But if you're a late filer, Siri is going to charge you a late filing fee, obviously, but they're going to look back and see, hey, did we charge this fee for 16, 17 or 18? And if they did, they're going to say, well, this is not just your first time. Therefore, we're going to double the fine we're going to charge you 10% late filing penalty and 2% for each full month the return is late, as opposed to 5 and then 1%. So be very aware. It's important to get the returns in on time. Uh, even if the payments are late, get the return in to avoid the late filing penalties.
0: Yeah. Do not forget to file your tax return. Man, oh man, that's the, the most important thing. And yeah. I get it, right? I mean, people... I mean, I don't get it. I have to be honest. I'm always right on time because it just scares the heck out of me not to be on time. Yeah. Uh, But I know lots of people don't.
1: No, and I understand some people have, you know, a mental block. They just, things to do with the government, they get so intimidated. um, They get just so worried they're going to do something wrong. So they just end up kind of in a paralysis mode. Um, But if you don't file your taxes or if you file late, you know, you can miss out on amounts owing to you from the government. So for example, GST credits, Canada Child Benefits, old age security, um, all of those and others are based on you filing your taxes every year so that the government knows your income. Um, And even if you can't pay the balance on time, you at least avoid the late filing penalties just by getting the return in on time. Um, So the do is to know the deadlines and the don't is don't fail to file. Make sure that you get the returns in.
0: Okay, so let's say I've decided I'm gonna file, I'm gonna try to get it in on time. What should I, let's say, what should I start thinking about in March uh, to do that properly?
1: Yeah, it's all about setting aside enough time so that the taxes isn't this, you know, massive mountain you need to get up and down of in the space of, you know, 24 hours. But the idea is almost every month, especially if you're self-employed, spend, you know, the hour, the half hour or something and just keep yourself organized. So the do here is to set enough time, set aside enough time, um, you know, to figure out the tax slips, the receipts, to know what you're going to need for your... Your tax return before the day you actually start to work on your return, you can avoid the last-minute scramble, avoid the stress, and still make sure that you meet the filing date.
0: Fair enough. And do people still get drawn in by, I guess, lack of a better word, tax scams? I mean, I don't even know what that is exactly.
1: Well, it's less and less, but there was a recent um, decision, you know, finally, and this has been going on since about 2005, um, there was all these donation tax scams. So I have a number of clients even now where we're still dealing with the aftermath where someone might donate $1,000 and then through all this financial chicanery and wizardry, um, they get a tax receipt for $20,000 or something like that. They'd put the $20,000 on their tax refund, on their tax return, then they end up with a big tax refund check and then CRA years later would come back and say, well, that's the fraud." One thing, we want all that back plus penalties and interest. So I haven't seen much of that in the last couple of years, but up as recently as two or three years ago, it was still going on this donation tax scam. So, you know, the don't here is don't fall for tax scams. Yeah. You know, there's, and- there's really nothing new under the sun. You know, sometimes people think, well, if I had more money, I got a better account, and then I would save a lot more taxes. For the vast majority of people, there's literally nothing you can do to reduce your tax liability. All you're doing is paying, you know, tax professionals for something that they won't be able to deliver. If you're self-employed, if you have a very Sophisticated amount of financial holdings. You know, there's a lot of tax planning you can do, but for the average person, you know, single person or family, one T4 job, a little bit of charitable donations, there's not too much science behind it or not too much art behind it. It's pretty straightforward.
0: Fair enough. So, can you share some tips about balances uh, for people who are getting refunds and for people who owe? Like, so for people who can expect to owe each year, mm-hmm. are there some tips that that they can sort of keep in mind as they start planning?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So if we start on the refund side, firstly, so this is the happy side, you know, you're getting some money back from the government. So the key thing here is just to make sure you use that money meaningfully. So do something that's going to have a big benefit to yourself. Uh, If you're carrying some debt, Throw it right away to pay down the debt. That's usually the best return you're going to get is to eliminate, you know, 19% interest charges against you. If you're not carrying debt, well, what about RRSP contributions? Take mm-hmm. your tax refund, contribute to your RRSP for next year. You'll get another tax refund the following year. You can just continue to do that, uh, or even your TFSA I was as going well. To say the TFSA yeah, is TFSA, always 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah, and don't let the the uh, the letters confuse you or stop you from looking into it if you haven't already because mm-hmm. it is probably one of the best things that the federal government ever did oh
1: exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah and there crazy. needs and there needs to be more adoption on on TfSAs you know a lot of people have opened an account put in one deposit and that's that but if you know what you're doing with a TFsa and you've got the right investments in there it can be a great vehicle to save for your retirement
0: yeah really good
1: mm-hmm. now the last point here is if you are getting a refund and you're going to splurge with it make sure you just do that once um, I've had clients who said oh I was getting two thousand dollars back on my taxes so I booked this trip to Mexico and I I did this for my car and so on and so forth. And it turned out they had spent that refund about three times over. Got so it. be very careful you don't spend dollars <laughs> that actually aren't coming towards you. Now, if you've got some monies owing to the government, which unfortunately might be more common for uh, folks, obviously, that walk in the door to see me, there's a couple things that you want to do. And the first one is to understand, well, why? You know, why do I owe the government some money? Mm -hmm. And if it's unexpected, understand, well, what should I be doing differently next year to to make a change with that? So, you know, the most common reasons people would owe tax uh, is if they're working more than one job. So this is one of those things where you think you're helping yourself, but sometimes you end up with a bit of a financial hangover. If you end up working a second job, you need to make sure that your second employer takes off taxes at a higher rate than they would take off if that was your only source of employment. Because of how tax rates work in Canada, once you get over a certain amount of income, the next dollar is taxed at a higher rate. And if you're not sure, if your new employer doesn't know that you're working other jobs, they might not be taking off enough taxes. Government doesn't really care at the end of the year, they're going to say, well, if we didn't take enough off, then you owe us the balance. So. Be careful if you're working multiple jobs that your taxes are taken off appropriately.
0: Yeah, because it is, from personal experience, it can be an awful, awful surprise. Yeah, or if
1: it's unanticipated and then you file your taxes and then, gee, they want you to pay as soon as you file, so...
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're looking at a
1: penalty at that point. Exactly. Uh, for receiving EI benefits, if you're getting EI in the same type of, in, in a year when you're also working, oftentimes the withholdings on EI are significantly lower than what they should be to keep you with no tax debt. So be aware, you might be need, to, need to put a little bit of extra money aside if it was a year that you collected EI as well as worked. Uh, And then the last one here is just about self-employment income. Um, So you really need to make sure you're making regular installment payments to CRA along the year. If you're collecting GST, you're paying it, you're remitting it back to CRA, it's when you start to use amounts that should have been sent to the government or for, for GST or whatnot in your operations, that's a huge warning sign that you're in for some financial trouble.
0: Okay. So what about the don'ts? What shouldn't we be doing?
1: Well, the last don't here is don't ignore a balance owing. So anyone that's listened to our show for any length of time knows that I talk a lot about what creditors can do if you owe them money and the steps they have to go through and they have to take legal action and all that before they can hurt you. None of that applies to the government. So if you owe CRA money with very little notice to you, they can go and they can seize your wages, usually about 30% of your wages. They can freeze your bank account, take all the money out of there. They can register untitled to your real estate if you're really delinquent with them. Um, They won't do those things if you're typically working with them. They'll work out a payment plan with you. They'll be nice to deal with. But if you go silent and you just ignore the problem, you can expect that CRA is going to take some pretty significant and escalating collection activities against you.
0: Now, if I came to you and said, look, I've already... Already talked to somebody at CRA and they're really not interested in helping me. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to try that again and hope and find in the hopes of finding somebody who might be, or is the rule the rule and they're all following the same rule?
1: Well, it depends. So there's definitely is a set of rules, and there's no agent at CRA that's ever going to be able to reduce the amount that you owe. So, you know, if you owe $5,000 in back taxes, doesn't matter how nice they want to be and help you out, they can't do anything to reduce that principle. Okay. Now, what they can typically do is they can. Give you up to about a six month payment plan. So if you're speaking to a CRA agent and they won't even give you a six month payment plan in good faith to pay it off in full, then I would say, yeah, you're probably speaking to the wrong person or someone not having a great day or so on and so forth. Nothing to stop you from hanging up and trying to get reassigned to somebody else. Because
0: chances are good you're going to get somebody else.
1: Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But if you know six months is so far out of the realm of possibility and you want them to go and you know a two or three year payment plan and make a deal with you to reduce the debt, you're barking up the wrong tree completely. There's nobody at area that has the authority to make those types of deals. The only way you could achieve that outcome of getting a reduced amount on your taxes, of paying off what you can afford, of not having your wages taken, is by working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So by filing either a bankruptcy or more preferably a consumer proposal, you could restructure your debts.
0: No matter who tells you differently, Mm -hmm. licensed insolvency trustees are the only ones that can do that in this country.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: And super important to remember. Uh, So here's how you do that. Get a hold of uh, your local Sands & Associates office. Super easy to do. Their toll-free number is 1-800-661-3030 or visit the website at sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So managing credit card debt. It's got to be the number one thing that people have and come to you about.
1: Number one thing that drives people through the door, 100%, is credit card debt.
0: Because it feels so out of control and that I can't do anything about it. And that's what this segment's all about, is learning strategies that can help you bring your credit card debt either to a zero balance and for things to watch out for along that way. Mm -hmm. Because we know everybody's offering one, whether it be major banks, major retailers, Uh, And it's no surprise that everybody has at least one, two, I don't know, maybe three, four. You tell me, you see these folks at your place.
1: Well, the average is between two to three cards for the average Canadian, but I have people coming in, sometimes it's a stack, you know, an inch or two thick of the number of cards, so you know, I've seen 20 cards, I've seen 30 cards, and obviously these are some very extreme situations. Sure. But a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's the two to four cards, probably. It's not the number of credit cards that are the issue quite often. Uh, it's just the amount of accumulated debt and the interest rates on those debts.
0: Right. And the other thing is to draw your attention to, if it all already hasn't dawned on you, that this is possibly somebody who uh, got into trouble and that that's not, uh, that's not a, a, a prerequisite for getting a new card, just because mm-hmm. you're in a situation that's seems you need more credit in order to get out of it mm-hmm. you're you're their perfect candidate
1: yeah it, it's surprisingly and you know deceptively easy to get more than enough credit than you would ever need so you know if you've got some good credit history the last couple of years you haven't been missing payments anybody who would go out and apply for a number of cards would probably be surprised at the amount of credit that would actually come through so it's very easy to get into credit card debt and the thing with credit card debt too is you know with a mortgage you know what you're paying for you're paying for the house with the car it's the car loan sometimes with the line of credit. It's a renovation. There's something discreet that you know for sure you got something out of it. Uh, The clients that I see day in and day out when it's credit card debt, it's very difficult to point to anything that is lasting that was purchased with the credit cards. So, you know, quite often it was just there was a monthly gap in the budget and the credit card helped to fill that gap. It was used to live, it was used for various things, maybe a vacation, but it's not like there's some asset that people are holding on to saying, no. okay, well, this was worth it at the end of the day. So, it's a debt that it's easy to get into. There's often no lasting benefit to it um, and it can be a real challenge to get out of.
0: Yeah. All right. So, let's talk about uh, just how long it takes to pay off credit card debt.
1: Yeah. So, working from the worst case uh, to the more reasonable case here, uh, a retail store credit card. And these are typically the worst of the worst. I don't know uh, why folks continue to get these. I know they have some loyalty programs, of course, and all that. But 29.9% interest rate to me just eclipses everything with just a $5,000 debt, which is not too tough to accumulate with a few few bad months or say an income interruption or something. You know, $5,000 debt at that interest rate would take you 50 years and four months to pay off. And you would pay the debt off about five times over terms of interest charges, almost $24,000 of interest over that period of time. So, you know, if you're carrying anything on a department store credit card at 29.9, five grand dollars is 50 years. So, you know, kind of do your own math there. It, it's very discouraging. Um, you know, working down to a standard credit card, which is similar to, you know, an 18.9% credit card uh, interest rate, it's a lot more reasonable, you know, less than half of the time at 19 years and nine months, but you're still talking 20 years to pay off about $5,000. Right. And you would pay more than 100% of what you owe um, in interest charges so again a little bit better but still 20 years to pay off 5,000 that's a lot of a person's working life to carry to carry off a $5,000 debt um, You know the last option here is a low rate card just to show the impact of that so if it was a low rate card at about 11.9% interest rate which is pretty reasonable expectation I think um, you'd be looking at about 14 years and seven months so still saves you a significant amount of time nowhere near the 50 years for a department store less than the 20 years for a standard credit card um, but you're still Paying significant amounts in interest—about twenty-four hundred dollars in interest on your five thousand dollar balance. So, at the end of the day, if you're carrying a balance on a credit card, realize that making the minimum payments is not doing much, if anything, to get you out of debt.
0: Okay. So, what's the first thing a person can do?
1: Well, first thing, and a lot of people are amazed that you can actually do this, is try to negotiate your interest rate in your credit card or switch to a lower rate card. So, it's really important that you do a bit of research ahead of this. So, if you know, if you Google online, you know, Canada best low rate credit cards. Uh, you'll find a number of blog posts of websites where they'll do a comparison uh, and go into your bank armed with that information. So, you know, be prepared, understand what's, what's offered elsewhere, and be straightforward and calm, but firm in your approach. And just say, you know, I've been a customer for a long time. I'd love to continue to be a customer, but I need you to be able to offer something that's as competitive as, you know, Bank B is offering here with a lower rate credit card. Um, Most banks that I've dealt with in the past, they don't like to negotiate, but you will have some surprising outcomes. They don't want to lose your business. Um, You might find access to lower rate card products that you might not even find advertised very easily online.
0: Okay, so let's say you, you're able to get that um, uh, lower card, uh, lower card rate, or let's say you, it can't be lowered and mm-hmm. you've, you've got what you've got. Yep. What do you do then?
1: Well, then you look at, do you have other cards that have lower interest rates or can you go and apply for another card that has a lower interest rate and try to transfer the balances over? So if the existing card that you've got isn't going to be able to, to do what you need well then see are there other options that are out there either through another bank or a different card at the same bank to try to transfer a balance
0: Okay that's uh, okay all right you that's you think that that's the the best or not the best but that's good advice to follow.
1: Well, it's better than keeping with a high interest rate unfortunately for sure yeah. okay
0: fair enough fair mm-hmm. enough. So I know debt consolidation is a strategy that lots of people uh, consider Can you sort of run through that for somebody?
1: Yeah. And sorry, Elaine, I think we skipped our, our second point here about paying oh. the highest interest card first. Or, okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Or maybe I, I misunderstood no, what you no, were, what no, you were no, mentioning there. No, Fair enough. But yeah. yeah, what I was going to say is if you've got some cards where you have a balance on the high interest card and you can't transfer that balance anywhere else, um, you do need to have an approach to basically paying off that debt first. And you want to prioritize your highest interest cost debt. So what you need to do is you need to sit down with your budget and you need to figure out, well, what can I afford to pay on my debts every month? And that can be your first test. If you can't afford to pay anything, well, then you've got a pretty significant problem problem. And, you know, trying to rearrange the amounts that aren't enough, you need to go and get some help. But if you're sure you're able to cover all of your minimum payments on your credit cards, you need to figure out well, what's left in my budget after I paid the minimums and throw all of that extra money at the highest rate card until that one's brought down to zero.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad that we went back to that point because yeah, that is really you. important. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Very important. So then debt consolidation, I know, is that the thing that most people think about right yeah. off the bat? You
1: know, a lot of people jump straight to debt consolidation at first. They say, well, regardless I mean. Negotiating my interest rate or trying to move things around. I just want to consolidate. I want to have one payment. I want to have it at a lower interest rate. I'm going to pay that off each month. Things are going to be way, way more simple.
0: See, and that seems very logical to me that uh, a smart person would go, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do.
1: Yeah, and it definitely makes good financial sense. But two big challenges. Number one, very difficult to qualify. You need to have a bunch of assets or really high income to be able to consolidate your debts because the bank at that point is taking a risk. They're paying off all the other credit cards and expecting that you're going to pay them back. And they're only going to do do that if they've got some good coverage they know they could take an asset or your wages are so high they know they'd be able to get paid back so it can be difficult to qualify for the second thing is after you've consolidated it's so critical that you take the old credit cards you know either chop them up put them in ice do whatever but stop using them because so often i've had people in my office where i can see the consolidation loan they've done three years ago and i say well what was that to consolidate oh it's to consolidate these other cards which they now have balances again because they were at zero and then they got used again. Got it. So you got to make sure you deal with the underlying budgetary issue um, to make sure the consolidation would be a success.
0: So let's finish this segment up with, if the consolidation loan doesn't work to take on the credit card debt, What's the next step?
1: The next step is to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee and figure out what are your options to actually restructure this debt once and for all legally. Uh, And two main ones, you know, one being your first option would be to consider a consumer proposal. So for anyone out here that's sitting with a bunch of credit card debt and is not sure what they can do, a consumer proposal reduces all credit card debt interest and all other debt interest down to zero. So literally zero extra interest charged. And it's a question of what can you afford to repay on the full amount. For some people, it's the full debt. But for the vast majority of people, it's about 25 to 50 percent, maybe 30 percent, 30 cents in the dollar, something like that. So a proposal consolidates all the debt, eliminates all the future interest charges and gives you up to five years to pay off that reduced balance without having to file for bankruptcy.
0: And again, you know, the best place to start is to go to Sands & Associates, talk to Blair or any of the staff that they've got the license Insolvency and they can walk you through this. It's so easy to get super discouraged when you've got all of this debt. Uh, Just a couple of things. Remember, you're not alone. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by it, give these guys a call. Sands & Associates, you can get a hold of them by calling their toll-free number 1-800-661-3030 or visit their website, sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scalan along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, how much does it cost? I mean, we talk about consumer proposals, we talk about personal bankruptcy, and this is one of the first questions I ever had for you when we sat down is that when I go into your office or go into the Sands and Associates offices and there's 17 um I always think, okay, so what's in it for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, besides you're doing a, a heck of a lot of good for folks mm-hmm. and helping them get out from underneath that debt. Um, how do you guys how do how does a, a licensed insolvency trustee get paid? And and that's what this this segment is all about, which I think is really great.
1: Yeah. So I remember when I sat down, and I was telling my parents, you know, I discovered you know this new direction I want to take my career. I want to become a trustee in bankruptcy. The logical next question was, well, people are bankrupt doesn't that mean they have no money. Exactly. How are, you, how are you ever going to get paid? Right. Um, so these are yeah, Good def- on you,
0: son, but yeah. come on. way you go make the world a better place, but make
1: sure you can eat too. Exactly. Um, so yeah, at the at the end of the day, it does cost money to go into bankruptcy or to do a consumer proposal. That's generally pretty reasonable cost. Everything is set by the government, and we're going to go through a whole lot of detail today on how the costs are determined, give some examples. Uh, it's something we've got no problem discussing as a licensed insolvency trustee. I'm an officer of the court. Transparency is the name of the game. So anybody that deals with us, they could see very clear what fees are, uh, what goes back to creditors. And again, everything's heavily regulated. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. And that's really important, regulated. So there's rules you have to follow. Uh, The federal government determines those rules and regulations. So it's not like you guys are just winging it and coming up with a number at the end of the day that I owe you for helping me out.
1: Exactly, yeah. Trustees are not permitted to set their own, you know, fees and expenses and things like that. Uh, And it's not a fee for service arrangement. So it's not the case. I've got some clients who are scared to call me because they know if I pick up the phone, I bill them for twenty minutes of my time, and that costs them money. Right. it's nothing like that. It's all again set by a government tariff.
0: Okay, so should we start? Yeah, let's talk
1: about bankruptcy. All right,
0: so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have to file uh, for bankruptcy. Uh, how much do I have to pay in order to file that?
1: Yeah. There's two scenarios for how a bankruptcy can go. We're just going to keep it a little bit simple as we start off here and assume that the person is low income. And what low income means is that for a single person, they're earning less than roughly $2,200 a month after tax take home pay. Okay. And that might not seem like much, definitely in Vancouver, that's very difficult to make ends meet, but it's a national standard. So sure it's easier in Newfoundland than here, but here we are. Yeah. Um, so if someone's low income, they come in, they sit down with the trustee, we meet a number of times and we figure out, okay, bankruptcy is the right option for them. What they have to do during that bankruptcy is report their income to us over a nine month period. And if they remain low income during that period, they're required to pay $200 a month for those nine months. So a total of $1,800. Okay. So that's the cheapest and quickest way a bankruptcy could ever be administered It is a nine-month proceeding uh, if someone's considered low income. It has no relation to the amount of the debt so it could be just a few thousand dollars of debt. It could be millions of dollars of debt. It's all based on what's the person's ability to pay and the minimum is the $200 per month over nine months. It's important to know this is not in addition to their debt repayments. As soon as someone files for bankruptcy they stop paying everybody they've been paying. You know, if they've got a mortgage or a car loan they pay that but all the other debt are part of the bankruptcy and they pay the trustee instead, which is usually a whole lot less than what they've been paying on their debts.
0: Right. And out of that $200 a month for the nine months, that's how Sands & Associates gets paid.
1: Exactly. So in a situation where that's all that's been received, there's no assets, there's no tax refunds or things like that, uh, that money gets split a number of different ways between the government and the trustee. Uh, The trustee retains roughly $1,100 to $1,200 of those costs. um, There's no repayment on the debts. Essentially, all the the debts get written off with zero repayment on them.
0: Okay, so the consumer proposal that we, that we love to talk about, um, how, does, how does that work? How much do I have to pay in order to have that put in place?
1: Yeah. So the consumer proposal, because every situation is different, so there's no set amount for a consumer proposal. There's no flat rate of, you know, an $1,800 bankruptcy comparable consumer proposal because it's all based on what's the debt, what's the percentage being offered back. So, you know, in some cases it might be debts in the range of $25,000, for example, and it might be a consumer proposal in the range of $9,000. So just over a third of those debts. Um, If that's the case, the person would likely structure the proposal to repay $9,000 at an amount of $150 a month over 60 months. So they just make that payment each month. Their cost to actually file the consumer proposal is just the first month's payment.
0: Okay, and can I ask a question? How do we arrive at... If it's twenty five thousand dollars and I and I'm paying repaying nine thousand of that is the debt. How do how do you come to that number?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. There's a bit of an art and a science to it. So the science to it is we have to look at what would happen if the person filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. In many cases, if bankruptcy is going to be a zero recovery, we're able to offer back something on the lower end of a proposal, maybe twenty or twenty-five cents on the dollar. Okay? But we just have to make sure if bankruptcy was going to give back twenty-five cents on the dollar, for example, because the person had some assets or made a whole lot of money. We couldn't do a proposal for anything less than that. We'd have to go to 30 or 35 cents on the dollar. So whatever a bankruptcy recovery is going to be, that sets a floor. So that's kind of the science of it. The art of it is trying to figure out, well, how much Higher above that, do we have to be or not be based on various creditors? So, you know, Royal Bank might have different requirements than CIBC, uh, than Easy Financial, than Canadian Tire. So, based on the trustee's judgment and experience, um, and in concert with the client as well, there's a bit of a judgment call that says, okay, we think going in at 22 cents on the dollar is going to be appropriate based on these creditors and based on a bankruptcy recovery.
0: And what and what I then can afford to pay as uh, well, of right? Course, like that's yes. all part of that.
1: Yeah. So, and thank you for for tweaking me on that because for for a trustee to even file a consumer proposal, I have to sign off on two things. One is that it's better than a bankruptcy, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. The other, and even more importantly, is that the person can actually perform it that we've looked at the budget we understand the income we understand the obligations who lives at home what are their needs and that the proposal is affordable if those two things can't be signed off on then it's not a viable proposal and it can't be filed
0: so that's just part of the process of coming to that coming exactly. to that point um do you want to do this this part about sort of walking us through some of the costs that are included in the processes and then sort of give us a bit of an example in a typical bankruptcy
1: yeah, maybe we'll just do a couple of examples sure. here just on the consumer proposals. I had a couple that were okay, written up and yeah, and I think sometimes it's really good just to you know hear some numbers from actual clients. So we went through the last couple months and saw uh, you know one recent proposal that we've done, it was debt of forty-one thousand uh, dollars and it was monthly payments of three hundred and fifty dollars over 60 months, so that was repaying about 50% of the debt. So very significant reduction, no further interest, $41,000 down to $350 a month. You can imagine the minimum payments were multiples of that with no end in sight. Right. Um, you know, another one is someone on a very small, uh, small amount of debt here. And it was $9,000. They were able to reduce it down to just $200 a month over 24 months. So some proposals are much shorter. This one was done inside of two years and the debts were reduced again down to about half. So somewhere between a 30 and 50% repayment is usually where, where people end up being.
0: And you've got a self impl- somebody who's self-employed, an example there as well. And then I've got a question I want to ask.
1: Yeah. So the self-employed individual, I see lots and lots of these individuals. Sometimes it's to the government, sometimes it's GST or income tax debt. Uh, in this case, the person owed $43,000 and that did include some tax debt. Uh, we helped them file a consumer proposal and their monthly payments were $230 a month, over 60 months, a reduction of over 70% of their total debts.
0: And I guess it's more of a point than a- a question. In each of these cases, they were completely unique mm-hmm. and, the, and the situation was customized specifically for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's the important part to remember in this process is that this is your solution. Mm-hmm. It's not the solution. It's your solution based on all the other pieces.
1: Yeah, that there's no suite of, you know, tailor made cookie cutter proposals that right. we just stick somebody in. It's no, we start off with a blank sheet of paper in front of us, you know, tell me what's going on. What, what are the debts? how did they get away from you? What are you facing right now? And then we work on a solution.
0: And that's, and that makes it different from a bankruptcy, right? Because mm-hmm. there's very specific costs with the bankruptcy. And can we talk about that now?
1: Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so when you file for bankruptcy, um, you know, the amount that you have to pay, again, it's 100% driven by your income. And if you're low income, you pay the $200 per month. If you're not low income, you pay significantly more than that. Um, and what happens with that money from there is that there's a number of Costs that the trustee has to pay. Um, so, you know, so first off, when you file a bankruptcy, um, the trustee has to pay out about $100 administrative allowance. Uh, the trustee has about $170 of counseling session costs. And as I alluded to earlier, about $1,200 to $1,300 are trustee fees. Um, so, in total of your $1,800, about $1,500 goes to those costs. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a number of levies to the government that basically take it up to $1,800 uh, payable over the nine months.
0: Got it. Okay. So, it's very clear cut. You know exactly what it is when you're when you're going in which is which is great. So what if somebody was coming to you and considering considering filing a bankruptcy or consolidating their debt with a consumer proposal? Is there sort of a set th- couple of things that you say okay, this is what you need to really think about first?
1: You know, a couple of things. So, you know, first off is what's the size of the debt situation? So um, is it the case it's a couple of thousand dollars, the person can get out of it on their own, a consumer proposal is, you know, too severe of a a solution? Usually that's not the case. Um, Is the case the debts are so significant that even paying back a portion won't be possible? Again, sometimes I have people very early on in their financial careers have an unfortunate ICBC accident, have a million Mm dollars assessed against them. I'm sorry, but doing a consumer proposal to pay back 20% of a million dollars First off, they couldn't afford it, and second, that's probably not the best use of their money over the next, you know, five-year term. Right. Um, so we got to figure out is the debt so severe or so minimal. But if it hits the sweet spot, which is anywhere between you know a few thousand dollars up to about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, the next thing to look at is what can the person afford. So we review everybody's budget in detail. What's the income coming in? Who lives at home? Are there special circumstances with special diets or health requirements or different things like that? What can the person afford? Uh, and then the last thing is just to figure out, okay, the debts fit, We think the person can afford a proposal, are the creditors gonna go for it? Right. So you know, in some cases, if someone's been delinquent on their taxes for the last 10 years, they've just filed 10 years of tax returns right at once, and they wanna do a proposal the next day to the government, it's a pretty tough sell. It can be a little difficult for the government not to say, well, we want you to go through a bankruptcy, You know, take the lumps, do the penance, so on and so forth. But in most other situations, creditors outside of the government, they just want more money than a bankruptcy. So most of the time, they're willing to work with an individual if they choose to file a consumer proposal.
0: The other piece I I want you to include in, and you alluded to it in in just one of the costs uh, uh, for the... um for the bankruptcy about the uh, counseling session mm-hmm. costs. Uh, th- that's part of the service that, y- that you, that Sands & Associates offers their customers when they walk in the door.
1: Yeah, that that's something that perhaps we're, you know, reducing the debts is one thing. We're very proud of that. Um, but it's funny, the calls that I get years later, they tend to rave about the counseling. They tend to talk about, you know, the grounding that I got in the financial counseling sessions, teaching me how to rebuild my credit, how to set up a good household budget. That was what really put me on a good path to be financially successful later on. So regardless of whether a bankruptcy or a proposal, we give the counseling to every client. It's two sessions, private, one-on-ones in our offices here, and it's a great way to move forward and, you know, not make the same mistakes in the future, ideally.
0: And I think that's one of the um, important pieces to remember when you're dealing with Sands & Associates is that all the way through the process, you're not just out the door at the end of it, but you've been given some tools so that you don't find yourself in that same situation again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want more information, the 1-800 number is six six one thirty thirty. Visit the website, sands-trustee.com, to meet with someone, get that first uh, supportive, non-judgmental uh, debt expertise from the... Uh, from the folks at Sands & Associates. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment's all about student debt. And when I first started reading about what we were going to talk about, Blair, I thought, oh, yeah, well, I don't have any student debt. But I know people who do Mm -hmm. and that are still dealing with it. And these are, you know, professionals in their 30s and 40s in some cases. Uh, So this is really good information, not just for you you if you happen to have student debt, but if you know somebody that has student debt, this is some really good ideas uh, and tips and some encouragement for Mm -hmm. you on how to take it on.
1: Yeah, it's harder than it's ever been to get a good education these days. You know, tuition's more expensive. Living is more expensive. So student debt has become a fact of life for a lot of people.
0: So it is a big issue for people. There's no question about it. So what advice do you have uh, for current students or people even coming to the end of their study? Uh, who haven't quite got that job yet or who are in line uh, to deal with the the student debt. I mean, it sounds like such a drag to be starting a new career with that big kind of collar of debt around your neck.
1: Yeah, so I think there, there's different kind of layers or, or steps to that advice. So we'll go through that kind of in, in detail today, um, you know, whether you're just starting out or you're out of school already. Um, you know, I think first off, just for our listeners, you know, just kind of painting the picture, if We know, yeah. what, what's the significance of, of student debt as of now? Um, you know, in 2018, the Canadian University Survey Consortium, uh, they surveyed 15,000 graduating students um, and 50% of those finished with debt. So it's, again, one in two now um, yeah. uh, dealing with student debt. And the average debt was just under $28,000.
0: Which, in my mind, and, and, and I could be completely wrong about this, that sounds like kind of a starting wage depending on what industry you're entering mm-hmm. into.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's, you know, a reasonable starting wage depending on, you know, your hourly wage. But, um, but yeah, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant, um, you know, stone, so to speak, around your neck. And not to say it's something that's going to drag you down. It won't if you're going to be able to earn the income to support it, um, but it can be a challenge. Um, you know, in our most recent consumer debt study, it's just under 5% of people that filed for bankruptcy or did a consumer proposal said that a student loan was the primary cause, the reason why they were dealing with their debts. You know, it's much more common and it's, you know, it's, a, it's a factor in other situations, but for 5% of people, uh, it was the main reason why they were doing a bankruptcy or a proposal was because of the student debt.
0: Because they couldn't get out of it and mm. then everything else just added on top of it. The yeah. student debt... Uh, as we know, and I know that we're going to talk about that in this segment, uh, it's, it's a challenge to deal with. There's not a lot of wiggle room, mm-hmm. so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's the government. Government's got more power than anybody else, as, as all of our longtime listeners would know here. Yeah. Um, so in terms of advice from before. Yeah. What do you do? So before you're a student, um, you know, first off is, again, coming back to that classic idea of making a budget and figuring out what do you actually need? So, you know, figure in your tuition, your books, your rent, groceries, other costs of living. Um, think about, can you get a part-time job? Can you be a TA? Can you mark? Can you do various different things uh, to defray some of the costs? Uh, and have a backup plan, you know, in, in the event that you can't make that, so, that sort of income. Um, you know, is there anything that you're going to be able to do to fill the gap? Is there any other sources of parental or, or family resources there? Um, also, be careful that, um, you know, if you're awarded a bunch of money and you don't need it, Don't take it. Don't you know, take just it. Just because the government's going to give you $10,000, not give you, loan you $10,000, uh, and you only need 7000 it's generally not a wise decision to say, oh, well, I don't have to pay interest on this for a few years. Let me just take this money. I'm sure it'll come in handy somewhere. Uh, years down the road, you won't remember what that extra money went for, but you can bet you're going to curse that you took more student loan than you actually needed because you will be paying it back with interest.
0: See, I think this is really good information for parents of students as well, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the budget part. Yeah. Uh, Really, really good idea. So, what what about other resources? What 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 is available to students these days?
1: Yeah. So RESPs are you know relatively new in the last ten years ish or so. So ideally, a lot of current students are fine. There are some resources they can access through there. So you know, obviously, make sure you know if your parents have an RESP or right. another and family member has started that, it. That
0: a parent starts.
1: Yeah. Uh, now with advent of the internet, obviously it's easier than ever to find out more and more about scholarships, bursaries, awards, different things that you can apply for. Uh, I remember I went to York University and uh, back then I would type into Google, you know, different awards, bursaries for the business school. And I found things that people wouldn't apply for every year. I applied for them. It was $500 here, $300 there, you know, essentially free money from just completing a pretty simple application. So really make sure you've turned over all the stones for bursaries, awards, um, different things you might not be aware of. And they might be, be a little bit under uh, under the radar because they could be small dollar amounts each, maybe just a few hundred dollars, but in aggregate, that can really make a difference.
0: Yeah, they can really add up quickly or even just be a real foundation mm-hmm. uh, to w- to start out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sort of general tips on how to manage student loans, if you got any of those.
1: Yeah, so once you've graduated, so first off, you need to know what are the loans that I have, you know, are they government, non-government, what are the grace periods? So typically it's six months after you've graduated is when you have to start paying interest but the interest is charged right away so be aware of that Uh, and be aware of what day the payments are due the last thing you want uh, is that you're continually paying your student loans or your lines of credit late Uh, even though you're making the payments you're not making them on time and that's putting a negative notation even though your behavior is actually quite good
0: now, I like that you've incre- included the uh, idea that don't rely on more credit to bridge that gap between your income and expenses.
1: Yeah, that's, again, the classic thing that we see a lot is just a broken budget. So people have graduated, um, they've got some access to credit because at Frost Week, you know, they were offered about three or four different credit cards and, you know, every every bank wants to get everyone hooked young these days, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so people find, oh my God, my rent's so expensive, I cost too much to live, I want to have a little bit of fun. And then suddenly every month there's a a few hundred dollars that's going on the credit cards and not getting paid off. So you need to be very careful that whatever budget that you have, you've budgeted in there for your student loan repayment and that it balances, that there's not a gap that's going to be filled with credit every month.
0: Are student financial assistance offices much help for folks?
1: They definitely can be. So, you know, government regulations are changing all the time, you know, uh, even in election cycles, governments often Mm. talk about, you know, various income thresholds for when you won't have to pay back or changes in grace periods. um, so the best way to know what exactly is happening is to speak to your student financial aid office.
0: Okay. So let's look at some strategies to deal with student loan debt. And I know that you, that you as a licensed insolvency trustee are often helping people. And you mentioned it the first off that student debt was the first thing that got somebody into uh, a jam and, mm-hmm. and debt accumulated after that.
1: Yeah, so there's definitely things you can do to deal with your student loan and the trustee can help you with those. Now, student debt is treated differently than just about any other debt in Canada because, you know, essentially the government from what they say, they're an involuntary creditor, you know, they advance student loans to just about anybody without really considering about credit worthiness or likely repayment. So what that means in the law is that once you graduate, if you do a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, and it hasn't been seven years since you were last a student, you'll get the relief of that bankruptcy or a proposal during the time you're doing it so no one can collect from you, harass you or anything like that, but when you finish the bankruptcy or the proposal, the student loan debt is still going to be owed by you. So if you've got a ton of student loans and you're out of school a year or two, going bankrupt on those isn't going to solve the problem. It would eliminate other debts. If those are a big problem, you still might want to do it, but it's not going to solve the problem if it's been less than seven years. So for anyone, if it's been more than seven years, absolutely, you can restructure a student loan. You can do a consumer proposal, usually offer back a third or a half of the debt or something reasonable, or if that's not possible, you can do a bankruptcy. Uh, But if it's been less than seven years, it still makes sense to speak with a trustee because we can give you a, a lot of coaching, a lot of insight on in how you can face the debt, uh, maybe try to negotiate some lower payments for a period of time. Uh, but again, that seven-year waiting period makes it a little bit more difficult to restructure the debt straight out of school. But I can understand the objectives there too. You want everyone to graduate, work their best, try to earn a lot of income. You know, the number one objective is to pay the student loan back, not to have to restructure it.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure the idea of of having to take some action is a bit daunting for young people too, just starting out a bank bankruptcy, especially thinking that that might be an option, but you're going to help them figure that out.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bankruptcy would only be the option if there's no other option. And I can't see, you know, recommending to someone that they would go bankrupt if it's not going to deal with their student loans. Now, in some cases, you know, someone might be a fresh graduate. They've gotten into an ICBC accident. They've had a million dollar liability assessed against them. They probably need to go bankrupt, even though the student loan is going to survive. At least they're going to deal with the other massive debt. Uh, But for the most part, it's best to try to work, earn income for a few years see what's the best you can do. And usually the government's going to be relatively reasonable for the first few years. It's when they start to start seizing your wages, seizing your assets, sending you over to collection agencies. That's when you'd want to reach out for help.
0: Now, if any of this information is ringing a bell for you and you want to get some some either advice or some help, give them a call, Sands & Associates. You can get a confidential free debt consultation. This is their 1-800 number, six six one thirty thirty. 3030 Go to their website. It's also terrific, sands-trustee.com. To learn more, you're listening to Dollars and cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.